Dwan Talk, and um, this is all of our music group, and I'm just the the man in the corner. Is what I'm what I am, but um, I don't mind that. Uh, when when you're not song leading, at least you don't have to uh, worry about if you crackle a couple times here and there. You just sing out, right? And uh, but I do love to sing. I hope that you do also. You know, we sing in praise the Lord. Uh, we sing in remembrance of the Lord. We sing His promises, uh, and hopefully it, it is a song of our heart, right? And uh, the the singing is not just to fill in time. Uh, with young people, sometimes that can be the case. But uh, uh, our intent this morning is not to fill in time, but that our hearts would be prepared. And, um, you know, there, there is so much encouragement that should be had just from singing the songs alone in the house of God. And if, if you come to church for only the preaching alone, you're missing the whole, the whole picture. Uh, because the, these songs uh, can be such an encouragement to the soul. Amen? I'm just curious, this nothing to do with the message. Has anyone here actually maybe brought to Christ through any hymns? Anyone like that? I know I've known some people to be. Anyone like that? Yep, yep. So the hymns made a difference in your life, in hearing those hymns. And, you know, hymns can stir the Christian, but they can also uh, draw the unsaved to Christ. And, um, you know, sometimes even in a congregation of this size, uh, it's not even the preaching, but it's, it's the spirit should we say, of the people um, and their desire to sing praise to God. And so may, may God encourage our hearts through, through the singing this morning. Well, I've been thinking upon the message this morning, and, and uh, you know, sometimes when you uh, are preparing a message, thoughts just come through your mind that relate with you on particular details. Uh, I don't know uh, about you, but something, maybe it's because I'm tall and a little lanky, right? And maybe it's because I've got big feet, but sometimes I can trip over some of the most ridiculous things. If it's not my own two feet, I'm tripping over something, you know? And um, uh, I, I can remember one particular time, it was actually in a church service, and then one of the girls had a coffee, and I didn't even know that I knocked it over. But here I'm shaking hands, you know, me and my obnoxious self, and uh, just trying to shake everyone's hand that I can. And I knocked her whole coffee over, and she's making a big pizzazz, and I completely missed the whole thing. And she caught me the next day, she was one of the teachers in the school, and she said, did you realize you knocked over my coffee the other day? I said, uh, no. <laughs> you know, you knock over somebody's coffee in the morning, you're not, a you're not asking for a good day, right? She wasn't mad, but, uh, you know, you, you, some of the most crazy things. Uh, I remember the first time that I signed a, uh, a lease to my first apartment. I was so, you know, in my own mind focused upon, uh, you know, I got my own place and I, I was getting pretty, uh, feeling pretty good about myself, you know, overconfident, should I say. And uh, when walking into that that office of the apartment complex, it was kind of like an angled door, and there were two double doors that were glass doors. And um, I, as soon as I finished signing, I remember shaking the lady's hand, and I stood up out of the chair, and I turned around, took two steps, and ran right into that door. And um, uh, you know, there's all two or three ladies that are in there. I didn't even look back at them. I just walked around and walked out the building and didn't turn around and look back. You know, uh, we have those moments of life that we just we trip ourselves up. You know, I was looking online, actually, of a survey that, that of the top five things that people trip over. Uh, one of those things was toys. You ever trip over a toy? Uh, my wife and I are learning that even more. Even if the toy's not that big, you step on something and, you know, you stub your toe or it was just small enough, maybe it slid your whole foot and you about took a tumble, you know, down into the floor itself. 
uh, or other times you just, you know you're walking in the dark. You know, surely I can make it from here to the bathroom and not step on anything. Yeah, right. Try having a, a nearly two-year-old child. Right? He's not even that, and he's a terror. But uh, um, toys. Another one of the things was stones. You know, you walk through a gravel parking lot or a gravel drive of some sort. Um, rugs. You ever tripped on a rug before? Uh, coming in or out of a of a of a room and. I know Caleb, he loves to play with rugs. So he'll pick up the corner and he'll just flop it back and forth. But he never puts it back, you know. He always flops it all the way up over the corner. So if you open the door, you know, there's a curled up rug right in front of you. Um, uh, you know, I think probably if I were to think of one of the, the one things that I really just bumped into something was uh, the summer that I traveled Neighborhood Bible Time. And those of you who were with us this past summer for Neighborhood Bible Time, you know they do the booster cheer and, you know, here they are chanting back and forth and they're running back and forth on the stage. You know, I got an overconfident myself. I'm in like my nearly last week of Neighborhood Bible Time. Each week I'm leading a Bible school, you know, and, and you always start the rally with the booster cheer. And um, so this particular church I was at was in Washington State. And they didn't quite have a platform like ours, but they did have a baby grand piano, and it sat down uh, off the platform. And I think they had another uh, small organ or something like that on this side. But, you know, and all the kids are sitting in the first four rows. And I, I want to say it was middle of the week, you know. By middle of the week, you've already seen an increase in numbers. So it's exciting, right? And as I said earlier, here I'm feeding off the kids' energy, and, and we get all the kids, you know, staying attention. We're doing booster cheer back and forth. And we hardly got the thing going. I ran from one end of the room backwards the whole other end backed right into the baby grand piano and the pianist at the time uh, she was actually she was just her due date was any time she was just getting ready to deliver I thought for sure this is the moment right she I, I startled her the piano stopped the kids stopped everyone just sitting there looking at me and I stood right back up and just kept going you know and uh, as I'm going I still remember I actually realized that I had chipped a tooth in my mouth and so I had this little piece of a tooth in my mouth and here I'm leaving the song I'm thinking how in the world am I gonna get this tooth out you know ah, without the kids like being grossed out you know and believe it or not I figured out a way and if you want to know how I'll tell you later on but uh, uh, th those times in life that, you know, things come in front of us, whether an intentional obstacle or uh, an accidental thing, but there are things in life that cause us to stumble. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're at this morning, and here we find uh, not so much of a thing in life that, that can cause an individual to stumble, but rather a person. It is Paul, as you remember in our study together of 1 Corinthians, who's speaking to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth having a number of different uh, uh, areas of the church that Paul is seeking to help them out with. Now he's made it clear, as we looked together in chapter 4 last week, uh, he's made it clear to them that, hey, I'm not telling you that I know all the answers. I don't know all of this, but he says, I'm speaking to you as a spiritual parent. He says, I have led you to Christ, and therefore I am responsible to God for your spiritual well-being. And in, in chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, he talks about the matters of, uh, of, of issues um, and principles that he's bringing out concerning the areas of how to deal with business within a church when there's an, a fornication. He also talks in chapter 6 about uh, how, to, how a Christian should approach um, uh, another Christian in the areas of lawsuit. And, and he gives it some principles within the Word of God concerning those things. And in chapter 7, we'll actually look at that together tonight, but chapter 7 he talks about... Um, the, the area of marriage and how that applies to both the single individual, the married individual, and the, even in some cases of the Christian being married to a non-Christian. And uh, chapter 7 is a quite lengthy chapter, but we're looking in chapter 8 today, and it is here that uh, Paul 
particularly identifies the area of things being offered to idols. It's always the first verse, and again, we know the verse is not to be inspired, but when, when the verses were applied within the text, they helped to divide the scripture in most cases in such a way that, that bring a little more division and better understanding and finding our place within scripture. In verse 1, we find uh, really the topic that he's beginning to speak of. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, Now as touching things offered unto idols... So, uh, in my Bible, I like to even circle those things of that which the entire chapter is getting ready to speak of. In some cases, I circle the phrase with a whole nether colored pen. In other cases, I've drawn a line from one end to the other to kind of divide those verses even more to give me a greater understanding of what those clump of verses are speaking of. Well, in chapter 8, he's getting ready to talk about things offered to idols. In verse 4, he mentions about one of the details uh, that the church at Corinth was having amongst one another was some were eating of food offered to idols, and others were looking at it and saying, wait, is that even right? Now, let's understand this first of all, that these are Christians. Now, they are not, uh, um, it is not that they are um, necessarily worshiping idols, while some may have struggled with that, but what we find is, is that those who were older Christians, who had grown in their Christian life, they were eating food, which was, had been offered to idols, and knowing that, well, that God's not real, so why can't I eat this? But what was happening was the younger Christians were watching them. And the younger Christians, not knowing any of the details of idol worship outside of God and having received Christ alone, and it was, it was their testimony of Christ was hurting the younger Christian. And so what we find is Paul pointing, and you could say, pointing the finger back at the church of Corinth and saying, hey, it is you older Christians who are causing the younger to stumble. Look at verse 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians 8. The Bible says, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, or this freedom of yours, become a stumbling block to them that are weak. And again, he's not talking about the physically weak, he's talking about the spiritually weak. For if any see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. Now I'm going to read this verse again, and whether or not you have a King James Bible in your lap, maybe it's one of the Bibles that are there in the pew, or you have a different translation of Scripture, but understand, let, let us understand what exactly he's saying. Verse 10, For if any man see thee which thou hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple. So others are watching them, okay? If any man see thee, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened. Now that word emboldened means strengthened. He says, is weak to be strengthened to eat those things which are also offered to idols. In other words, what was happening is the older Christians were violating the conscience of the younger. Paul was trying to help them to understand the issue is not so much about even the offering of idols. Because at the end of the day, we know there's only one God. There aren't other idols to be worshipped. Amen? There's only one God. And he says that, look at verse number uh, 6. He says, But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So he, can, he has already concluded the fact, okay, well you know that there's a God, older Christian, but the younger Christian, they're still lacking confidence, even in their service to God, let alone their obedience to God. And so here they are, they're watching you, and you may have full uh, you may not even have the intent to cause the younger to stumble, 
but because of your lack of discernment to help the younger to grow in Christ. Instead, you've become so self-focused that you're only focused on that which you think is right, and you're causing them to stumble instead. Again, let's not get so caught up in the matter of the idol worship. It is Paul who's telling them himself that the issue is not even so much of the idols because there is no other God. There is only one God. The problem within Corinth was not that they were worshiping idols. The problem was that they were eating the food which had been sacrificed. I don't know if you've ever been out of the country, but I remember particularly when I spent some time in Thailand and in Laos, you find a lot of Buddha worshiping. And, uh, of course, Buddha, there's multiple different uh, idols of Buddha. And you, uh, but you would find these shrines, like, blocks from each other. And they were everywhere. <laughs> and um, uh, sometimes you would go and you would find uh, little statues of animals, like hundreds of them, all around this shrine, smaller than this podium. And it's just this whole designated section of all these little animals, uh, wooden animals, that is their form of putting offerings in front of. And some, sometimes, particularly when you go indoors, you would find them actually putting food out there. And so what, what the church at Corinth was doing was they, knowing those gods weren't real, they were eating the food, right? You know, that's good food, right? That's a bowl of rice, man. I want that rice. So here they're eating that food and with no uh, discernment of the younger Christian. Meanwhile, the younger Christian is saying, wait a second, what in the world are they doing? And, and what Paul is using the word embolden, are you not strengthening them to do wrong. In other words, you're causing them rather not to be taught the issue, but rather they're trying to discern on their own and it's causing them to stumble. It's causing them to stumble. Uh, the, the issue we find is rather than the older building up the younger, rather than the growing building up the weak, instead we find them becoming a stumbling block. And that's why he says in verse, um, uh, in verse 9, but take heed, lest by any means this liberty or this freedom of yours become a stumbling block to them who are weak. It is Paul who says in verse number one, notice the verse, now as touching things offered to idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. We know in the coming chapters, if you know your Bible at all, there's a love chapter that's getting ready to take place. He's getting ready to talk about how that charity never faileth. That, ch that word charity is not speaking of a phileo, brotherly love. That word that is used is speaking of an agape, self-giving, sacrificial giving, Christ-like kind of love. And what does he say concerning this matter? He says that charity edifieth. In other words, the problem that was happening is the church at Corinth was not loving and be, out of, as a result of their love, building others up in Christ, but instead they were not making a specific effort to love and they were causing them to stumble. Paul's not saying you don't care, you don't love. He's simply saying you are not taking into thought of the younger Christian. Remember in, in, as we read in chapter 3, he talked about their carnality. And I desire to feed you meat, but you can't handle it. So instead, I'm having to give you milk. He says, I, I, you should be able to be teachers, but, but now you need to be taught because you have stunted your own growth from your carnality in life. And as a result of their carnality, it is also causing the growing Christian to lack discernment for the younger. Uh, th this is such a matter that uh, I don't think Paul... 
is probably only telling the, the church at Corinth. Undoubtedly, it's been something which he shared with others because I personally believe that this can be a struggle for pastors, church members, churches all across the country with simply a lack of discernment for the other Christian. I'm not saying that we don't care because I, I, I think as a generality, a, a, a Christian who loves God, uh, they, they don't hate others. <laughs> but they may not be making a specific effort to show love. And it is the principle that Paul is, is trying to help them to understand within the church is that charity edifies. And it is what we find of the aspects of love uh, within this chapter of Scripture, these different aspects. The first of them are, or should I say, is edification. Three aspects of love that will help us to build others up rather than becoming a stumbling block to them. And that first is edification. The word edify literally means to build up. And again, as I mentioned to you already, it is that agape love, which is that sacrificial love. And so it is Paul who's saying we must be helping others to be growing in Christ, building them up in Christ, helping them to increase in their walk in Christ uh, rather than just, well, they're on their own. No, we're making a specific effort to do so. Love edifieth, he says. Agape love edifieth. If, if God, if Jesus, did not agape love us, if he only phileo loved us, he would not have died on the cross for us. What Christ did for us on the cross was not a brotherly love, it was a sacrificial self-giving love. Amen? Aren't you thankful for what God has done for us on the cross? Amen? He paid the ultimate punishment for our sins. He took it upon himself. The, the, the word which Paul is using in this passage of Scripture is the same word love that is used... In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a sacrificial, self-giving love. Paul says, you Christian who are older in your walk with Christ, you Christian who have been saved for years, it is, it is you who should be helping the younger to grow in Christ. And be careful that you're not violating their conscience. i give you an example. Um, a way that a conscience can be violated of the younger Christian uh, could be along the lines of music. Now, you, you may, let's say you know the Lord, you've, you've been growing in the Lord, and, and your, your standards of music may be different than mine. The point is not what kind of music. The point is, is the music you listen to, you are listening to, drawing you closer to Christ. But what could happen if a, if a younger Christian hears music that you listen to, and it doesn't glorify God, you could, instead of helping them to grow in their walk of God and understanding what is appropriate, you can instead violate their conscience. Well, I can listen to this because Christian so-and-so does. Boy, that happens more than often than we'd like to admit. Well, why can't I talk about so-and-so? Because they're always talking about them. Well, why can't I do these things? That's what everyone else is doing. The younger Christian is not ignorant because they're stupid. The younger Christian is trying to learn. And they're soaking everything in like a sponge. But what they're observing is... Those who are, have grown in their faith in Christ. Those who know the Lord. And they're watching the response. They're watching that person's faithfulness to church. They're listening to that person's prayer if they're actually genuinely praying to God. They're watching to see how many people, if any, are serving God and to what capacity that they are. They're watching the younger Christian. Let me ask you, uh, whether you are older or younger in your Christian life, are you learning and growing from the older and you who are older, are you investing and helping to build others up in Christ? I'm very thankful for, uh, for God bringing some of you who are here today 
who uh, you've been looking for at church and you know the Lord and you're, you're desiring to grow, let me tell you, my challenge to you would be find someone. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be my wife. But find someone within this church whom can, you can befriend. Find someone whom you can uh, grow under and together with. You know, we grow with the people that are, uh, that are going through the same things we are, that are in the same age we are. That's, that's why we break up in Sunday schools and we have married couples class and we have a younger kids class and we have a middle-aged class and we have a singles class and all these things because there are different areas of life which we're going through. You who are looking for a church, hey, seek to know the people within this church that you, you can be sharpened and grow outside of the preaching. You who are older in Christ and you faithfully attend the house of God and you, you've, you, you know how to witness and you've, you've read your Bible and you could quote scripture and, and you know those, those hymns when you sing them and you know the books of the Bible uh, when you're looking for a passage of scripture. Do we have the discernment to help teach others also? You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. Uh, you don't have to be uh, in an organized leadership position. It's, it's simply having the discernment as a Christian individual to invest, or should we say, to edify, to build the other up. The edification of love, the Bible tells us that there can be, uh, uh, there, there can be obstacles to showing love. The obstacles uh, that, that we find of the church at Corinth was their intent to focus so much upon their own growth, or should I say, their own knowledge, and they failed to discern the growth of others. Verse 1 summarizes really the whole chapter, where he says, Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Let's put it bluntly, as Paul is saying. You who know Christ, you have all this knowledge. If you just hold on to your knowledge and do nothing with it and don't love charity edifies and don't build others up in the love of Christ with it, what good is it actually doing you and you alone? Yeah, sure, you know you have knowledge, but the more knowledge you receive of Christ and you do nothing with it, it's only going to give you a big head. It knowledge puffeth up. You remember just previously in, in chapter 5, he talked about the areas of being puffed up in the pride which they, were, they, they had within their heart. The, the pride issue of the church at Corinth, one of those was that they were so focused upon the man before the maker. Remember they were looking to Paul and Cephas and Apollos before they were looking to God. And Paul was saying, you're, you're, understand we are only but ministers, we're stewards. Don't get yourself distracted. And he says yet again in this area of pride, you have become so proud of your own knowledge of God that you're not doing anything with it. And in turn, you are violating the conscience of the younger. The obstacle of showing love. The attitude in showing love. Look at verse 2. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. In other words, the attitude which should be had of the Christian who is edifying others in love should be an attitude of humility. An attitude of humility. You know, it's one thing to invest in another to build them up in Christ. It's another thing to act like you know it all. I have to be careful of that sometimes myself. When I'm leading something, I, I, that I have to be careful not to do it all myself. Uh, uh, the, the intent is, is, is not what I can do. The intent is, well, what can I do for others and invest in others? Um, one, of the, one of the things we uh, have tried to uh, Im implement in the ministries of our church uh, for things like neighborhood Bible time and other ministries is uh, to 
have people serve or um, be a part of that ministry to some capacity that maybe have not done it before. But they're working with somebody who, should we say, are experienced. So the twofold process is, yes, they're a disciple, they're following God. And that may be a teacher, they're teaching others about Christ, but they're also teaching the younger Christian how to do the very same thing. The goal as a Christian should be, yes, followers of Christ, but teaching others also. We're commanded by God, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Teaching others also is this principle. Disciples discipling others. Disciples discipling others. If you hold on to your knowledge, Christian, and you do nothing with it, you're only going to get a big head. Uh, you, you may not think that, uh, you may not waltz around like you know it all, but, but in your own spirit, you're, you've shown that pride is the very thing that's keeping you from sharing anything. Uh, and by the way, don't ever let it be concluded in your mind that you don't have anything to give. We all have something to give to the younger Christian. Amen? We all have something we can give. Unfortunately, sometimes the things which we give are not uh, with the intent of building others up. They can violate an individual's conscience. Sometimes uh, the, 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 the things which we are sharing with others can be maybe more in forms of gossip or discontentment rather than they are in the intent of building that individual up in Christ. You see, Christian, what you do, um, uh, what you do at, at minimum, others will do in a, in a greater capacity, in a greater maximum. Uh, what you may think to do is so small, get the new Christian and will watch you and do it in an even bigger way. Um, Caleb's at the point where he just copies everything you do, right? You, you, you are parents, you understand that, right? And um, every little thing. The other day I, w I went to swat a fly that was on the table. And as soon as I hit it, right, just a few moments later, as hard as he possibly could, wham, right on the other side of the table. He's also wanting to slam on the table, you know? And uh, you say a word, and he's trying to say the other word. But he doesn't just say da-da. He says da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know. There's so much more than what I just, okay, you only need to say one word. Just stop, you know. And, but, but the thing is, is children can, and this is what Paul is trying to help them to understand. Children are just like the younger Christian. The, the, the younger Christian is just soaking everything in. They're trying to figure it all out. They're exploring. They're putting everything in their mouth, right? They're looking at everything. They want to touch everything. They haven't figured it all out yet. The new Christian, they haven't figured it all out yet. Maybe they don't even fully understand what baptism is, but they were baptized. Maybe they hardly even understand how to share their testimony, uh, but, but, uh, but they, they know that they should. Uh, maybe they don't understand even roles of marriage, and, and that's something that they're struggling with in their home. It is these things, Christian, that we can violate the conscience of other younger Christians if we're not careful about our testimony of Christ. You see, this was the problem of, of, the, uh, of the church at Corinth. It wasn't so much, for them particularly, it was they were eating food that was offered to idols. Uh, but you may not be eating food offered to idols, but what is it that, that you may be harming or violating the conscience of others? Uh, things become acceptable to, uh, uh, to the non-Christian that we may not consider as acceptable in our life. We may, use, we may do something to a minimum, but again, they'll, they'll take it fully and wholly. Um, the attitude is one of humility. Humbly, charity edifies, humbly in the love of Christ. Hey, could I take the time? Could I show you? you know, could, I, could I show you some things? Uh, hey, wait a second, you, you can't find, let me show you where Leviticus is at. Gen Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Oh, I'm sorry, it's okay, it's all right, let me help you. 
Oh, you, you don't know how to memorize scripture? Well, let's make a goal together. Why don't I memorize some scripture and you memorize scripture with me? We'll both memorize this passage together. Uh, somebody says, well, I don't understand my husband. Well, let me tell you, uh, my husband also has these matters too. But here's what I do. I give it to the Lord and I pray about it. Well, my wife, she does these things. We're taking the time rather than to consent. Oh, yeah, my husband does the same exact thing. And my goodness, I wish I knew how to answer that. No, what you're doing is you're violating the conscience of the younger Christian. Instead, what you should be doing is teaching them the proper way to approach it as a Christian. And see, this was the problem that the church at Corinth was having, is they were lacking that discernment. Oh, that may, may that not be said of us as a church. Again, we don't have to be a, a person in a role of leadership, but that we are specifically with the intent of helping others to grow. No one says you have to have a Bible study at your house and you got to invite four or five people and fix brownies for them every time and, and sweep your floor and vacuum the floor every time make sure the toilet's clean that there's no hair on there to discuss anyone. You don't have to do that every time. God is simply saying that it is with our responsibility with that which we have grown in to share it with others. The Bible tells us there's an obstacle of showing love. The attitude in showing love is one of humility. The evidence of love is found in verse 3. But if any man love God... The same is known of him. You know, clear evidence that you love God is how much you're loving others. Clear evidence that you love God is how much you are, you are letting love edify your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, clear evidence of, of uh, how much you love others is how much you truly love God. And that's what he's saying in verse 3. If any man love God, if you truly love God and all that you're doing for God is out of love... The same is known of him. You're going to be applying that to others. You're going to be loving others in Christ. Because as God has loved me, so I'm going to love others. The edification of love. Number two, notice the example of love. Verse 4 and six, through 6. As I already read verse 6 a moment ago, but look with me together again in verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us, he's talking to the Christians of the church, to us there is but one God, the Father. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm thankful that my God still lives today. Amen? My God's not dead. I don't have to wonder, is he actually listening to me? I know that he is, and I see him answering. I know and have assurance that he hears my prayers. The Bible says, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. I mean, Paul's just hashing it out. He says, look, you guys are getting so uptight about this little petty thing. They're eating food offered to idols. He said, understand, uh, there, is no, there is no such thing as other gods. We only believe in one God. Uh, there, there isn't any, uh, those idols aren't representing any God because there is only one God, one Lord, one Savior, Jesus Christ. So stop arguing about, or stop letting all these things about idol worship be a, a discern to you and have greater discernment towards the younger Christian. Boy, let me tell you how easy it is to get caught up in so many other things that are so petty when compared to the opportunity to teach others also. When you get so caught up about, well, you know, this was done this way, or why are they doing it this way, or whatever. Paul says, just set the whole thing aside. Let's look at the major principle here. This is the problem. It's, it's not... The younger Christians are saying, well, they, this is what they did. The older Christians are saying, well, they, they don't understand. And Paul's just simply saying, well, understand, you both have responsibility. 
One should be growing from the other, and the other should be building the others up. God says, we've already been given the example. God's the one who loves us. There's only one God. He's the one who gave himself. So we must give ourselves also that example of love. Notice with me, number three, the effect of love. In verse 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. Now again, that word knowledge, trace it back to verse 1. He's talking about their, their knowledge, which is puffing them up. What is their knowledge about? It's that matter concerning idol worship, the eating of, uh, of food offered to idols. In the growing Christian's mind, they're saying, well, I already know that they're not real. But to the younger Christian's mind, their conscience is being violated. So that's why he says in verse 7, Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commenteth us not to God, for neither if we eat are, are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Notice the things that he says concerning what they had done to uh, the younger Christian. At the end of verse 7, he says, and their conscience being weak is defiled. They defiled their conscience. Verse 12, it, the Bible says, but when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, they wounded their conscience. Verse 13, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, they offended the, the, the younger Christian. You see, they had lacked the ability to discern uh, uh, the younger Christian's growth uh, and, and how that they could help them to grow further. Verse 10, uh, as, as we already have read, but the Bible says, For if any man see thee which thou hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? You're going to cause them to do what you're doing, yet to a level to which they don't understand what they're doing. The, the, the weaker, the younger... Uh, Christian's conscience is violated when we fail to build others up through love. And let us understand this principle. It is Paul who is simply saying, yes, we can have the intent to help teach others, but truly loving them is taking the time, sacrificing the time of ourself, of our own ability to invest. Discipling others. Verse 12 and 13, but when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wait a second. <laughs> when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ? In other words, Christian, you're sinning against God in your lack of discernment to invest in the younger Christian. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. You're, you're, you're sinning against God. It is God who has commanded you. It is God who uh, has an expectation of you. It is God who has first loved you. Should we not love others in Christ and build them up to a greater walk with Christ? The Bible says in um, uh, verse number 13, Wherefore, if meat make thy brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. So in other words, hey, if what you're doing may cause the younger Christian to question or to wonder, or maybe you don't even know if somebody is watching, but you can only assume that they are. If what you're doing could be understood or taken to another level, don't do it. In other words, Paul says, you know what, if, if it, because this is violating the conscience of the younger Christian, 
why are you even doing it? Why do you keep doing what you want to do and you're not focused upon what is spiritually beneficial for the younger? Knowledge puppeth up. In other words, saying you're so focused in your own little world, you know, there may not be a glass door in front of you, but you're just running right into it, causing the others to run right into it with you. You're both stumbling. You're, you, there may not be a toy that you're tripping over, but uh, you're, you're tripping over those things too. By the way, I didn't mention about that survey, but one of those things that the top things that, that people say they trip over is their own two feet. <laughs> how, that, how that is true, you know, trip over your own self. The Bible tells us we have a responsibility to build others up in Christ. Are you loving others, edifying them? Is your intent to disciple others also? There is, again, there is so much in this passage of Scripture that if you, if you read it through and, and, and took chapter 8 and stuck it in front of each one of those, it could be applied. This is one of those chapters that could be applied to every level because uh, every issue which he's bringing out had to do with a matter that didn't just concern them. He says, yes, I'm pointing out some problems in the church. He says, I don't have the full answer. He says, God has the answer. Read chapter 7. Oftentimes he says, this is not even God who's speaking. This is me who's speaking. <laughs> uh, there, there was multiple times where, where Paul was simply trying to help take care of the problems within the church. But the ultimate principle that he was trying to help them to understand in chapter 8 is charity edifieth. Are you building others up in Christ? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet... Have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Remember last week we looked at that together. It's not Paul who's saying, follow me because I know best. Paul's saying, follow me because I'm striving to live with an example that's worth following for Christ. Follow me because the life that I'm striving to live is a life that you should also be striving to live. He says, you don't have many fathers, but I consider myself to be your spiritual father. How many of you, uh, maybe in this church, you have led someone to Christ? You ever led somebody to Christ? Okay, You are their spiritual parent. Like it or not, you are. You led them to Christ. You brought them to a knowledge of Christ. And you know who you're going to be responsible to God for and even their growth? You're, you're the one who's responsible. Not them. That's why Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I'm not worried about what others are judging about me. I'm worried about my judgment before God. He says, I'm responsible to this church. This church has been brought to Christ as a result of my ministry. I am responsible to God for your spiritual growth. Christian, are you making a specific intent to help others to grow in Christ? In what ways in your Christian life can you do better? In what ways in your Christian life can you do something to help better you in that area. That's why uh, teaching a son is cool or, or something to that level it can be so helpful to the Christian because now it becomes something that they're almost more naturally doing. But when we consider of our church, the growth of Community Bible Church, growth doesn't just happen, but growth comes through God's people having a vision for the younger Christian or in maybe some cases, the non-Christian, in saying, I'm going to seek to disciple them. I'm going to befriend them. I'm going to build a relationship with them. I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to seek to be a part of their life. I'm going to help them to come to a greater knowledge of Christ, to walk better with Christ. Remember, it's Paul who says, I'm not expecting perfection, but, but we should be seeking perfection. 
And in our seeking God, we're leaving an example for others to follow us. Who's following you? I mean, who do you know that's following you? We all have people following us. But who do you know that's following you? Uh, again, no matter what role of leadership you may have, do you have somebody that you're seeking to invest in? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.